that ends with multiple people being killed while the robbery of an LCBO equivalent happened in 1936. But before that, there's jailbreaks, pretend religious conversions, and crimes that drew national attention, even creating tourism spots. It's the story of Red Ryan, one of the most notorious criminals in Canadian history, and how Jack Lewis and the Sarnia police finally took him down. To tell us more, here's the host of this episode of the 519 Podcast, Haley Chang. Norman Red Ryan was born into a completely normal family in 1895, or as normal as any family can be. He was one of eight kids, and they were a good Roman Catholic family. So it was a surprise when Ryan was convicted for bicycle theft by age 10. The system wasn't hard on him. He was just a minor at the time, chalked up to be a fumble in judgment by a child, a one-off for someone who didn't know any better. But one year later, he was caught stealing chickens, and then he was convicted for two more thefts two years later. He had the beginnings of not just a troubled child, but a person with no acknowledgement of the law or authority. For most kids in that era, being in their mid-teens means joining church youth groups. However, Ryan put together a gang. He continued his streak of petty thefts up until 1912, where he was caught red-handed robbing a Toronto candy shop with a loaded revolver in his pocket. This led to his first stint in the Kingston Penitentiary. Fast forward to 1914, fresh out of prison and claiming to steer away from a life of crime. It only took him one year to break that vow and get arrested again, this time for armed robbery. His crimes were escalating, as did his next prison sentence. He was sentenced to two 12-year terms in jail. Ryan's 20s and 30s were set to be spent locked up in prison. That is, until the Great War. Men were desperately needed on the front lines, and so prison sentences were being pardoned, provided you join the army. Ryan, already experienced in armed conflicts, was quick to join. He also quickly became an international criminal, committing thefts as soon as he landed overseas. He was caught and imprisoned for theft in the UK, held in a camp guard room. But he escaped detention and became an army deserter, reportedly spending the next two years of his life robbing banks around Europe. And when he came back to Canada, long story short, he continued robbing banks and risking his life in shootouts ultimately being caught once more in Montreal. It was clear he was never going to change, and so he was sentenced to life in prison. Miraculously, this is where the legend of Red Ryan begins. It was 10.45 a.m. on the morning of September 10, 1923, when prison sirens began to roar there was a horse barn on fire on the prison grounds. Through the black smoke and flames, the guards could see five prisoners climbing a ladder over the prison's fence. They fired their guns through the black smog but were unable to stop the escape. When they did a head count after the fact, Red Ryan was not present. He had completed a magic act, doing the impossible, breaking out of the Kingston Penitentiary. His name was written in newspapers across the country. Reporters called him a master escape artist. He later turned up connected to a string of bank robberies in the United States, quickly building up a reputation as the Canadian Jesse James. But continuing his trend of being a ridiculously unelusive criminal, he was arrested again in Minneapolis for more armed robberies. He was thrown right back in jail, waiting to be extradited. And when the extradition came through and Ryan was sent back to Kingston, 
they took a closer look at his jail cell bars. Ryan was a few inches away from cleanly sawing through his and making another escape. When he returned to Canada, he didn't return as a petty criminal. This time, he returned as one of the most infamous criminals of his era and someone who was sure to be locked up for the rest of his life. I mean, he'd have to be, wouldn't he? Then we see the transformation of Red Ryan the criminal to Norman Ryan, the poster boy of reform and Kingston Penitentiary's greatest success. And an Oscar-worthy acting performance by himself once again accomplished the impossible. He started by finding God and building an unbreakable impression on the penitentiary priest, Father Kingsley, who spoke glowingly about Ryan's reformation. Ryan became a model prison citizen, did and said all the right things, even wrote a book about his wasted life in crime. And when a riot broke out at the Kingston Penitentiary, Ryan, much to everyone's surprise, didn't even participate. That impressed the decision makers in the system. And then in a day that would eventually be looked back on with political regret, he had the honor of being visited by the Prime Minister of Canada, Richard Bedford Bennett, who was deeply impressed with his remorse and self-improvement. Eventually, Ryan's total reform made its way through all the right channels and to the people that carried the power to acknowledge it. And they did. Red Ryan was paroled and set free from prison, once more avoiding the punishment he deserved. Ryan was released in a time when people thought of outlaws as heroes and celebrities. He came out of prison with a lineup of job offers that most ex-convicts wouldn't dream of. He was a certified show pony and a persona that brings in crowds. He became a car salesman, a fight promoter, a radio personality, and the manager and host of the Neyland Hotel in Toronto. He drew the attention of lawyers, politicians, business owners, members of high society lined up to have their pictures taken with him. He was invited to lavish events and enjoyed a life full of mild luxury. He was the ultimate reform story, and through it all, he preached that crime did not pay. Yet quietly in certain crowds, rumblings of Red Ryan's return to crime began. It seemed inconceivable. Why would he start back up again? What was there to gain? People thought it was an impossibility that he'd revert to his old self. He wasn't a petty thief anymore. He was a Toronto icon, celebrity in the papers, pictured with prominent members in Toronto society. What they didn't know is that he'd begun to be linked to crimes happening around Ontario and the policemen suspected him of being an accomplice to the murder of Edwin Stonehouse. And they were right. It was a car theft gone wrong and Ryan and his partners were to blame for it. Ryan had blood on his hands. Police were closing in on him. They'd begun to shake the golden image they had of him and Ryan knew this. So he decided he needed to rob one more place and get one more score. He needed money to escape to Western Canada. His final target was liquor store number 46 in Sarnia, Ontario. Joining Ryan for this final robbery was Henry Harry Checkley. This is Phil Egan, chief editor of the Sarnia Historical Society. The liquor store in Sarnia closed at 6. So their original plan was they, they were dressed in, uh, I mean, Sarnia was known as a railway town, so they were dressed in, you know, railway clothing. Their plan was to uh, go into the liquor store and to wait until just before closing time when most of the patrons had left. And in those days, facing Christina Street, the liquor store had both an indoor and an outdoor. They were about three feet apart. And people in 
the city knew, people who were familiar with the liquor store knew, that the door, the outdoor, never completely properly closed. So if you if you walked out and the door closed behind you, you could always go back if you needed to go back, and, and you could actually pry it open. So on this particular occasion, they actually got into the um, the indoor of the liquor store, and then there was a plate of stairs that went up, and then a landing, and then there was a turn into the main floor of the of the liquor store. So they actually went inside the indoor, and they were going to wait there until they were sh- pretty sure that all of the patrons in the store had left, because they figured it would e- be easier to conduct this robbery if uh, you know if the store was pretty well empty. So they went in, and they're they're waiting there, and Checkley actually turned the lock to lock the indoor. That was their first mistake, because once that door was locked from the inside, the only way to unlock it was to have a clerk go around outside and open it with a key. They didn't know that. Little did they know, locking the indoor would turn out to be their fatal undoing. So there's a guy inside the liquor store who's just discovered, as he's about to walk up to to place his order, that he's 25 cents short. So he walks towards the indoor to peer down to see whether anybody's coming along that he knows that he can hit for a 25-cent loan. And while he's looking down this set of stairs, he sees these two guys, Ryan and Checkley, putting on their masks. So he realizes something's up. Checkley spots him right away and realizes the gig is up. So the two of them go tearing up the stairs um, with their guns drawn. Ryan's actually got a gun in both hands, screaming, this Mm. is a holdup. The manager of the liquor store was a guy named Don McDonald, who had literally just been on the job for a couple of days. And when these guys came screaming up the stairs, saying, you know, it's a holdup, get your hands in the air, he thought it was a gag. He thought this was something the staff had set up to, you know, sort of initiate him. But when Ryan, you know, catapulted himself over the over the front uh, counter to start rifling through the cash register, he realized it wasn't a joke at all. Already a terrible way to start a new job, but things were only about to get worse. So it's now about four minutes to six, so it's just before closing time, and another patron comes along and tries to get in the indoor, which is locked. But he realizes it's not 6 o'clock yet, so he goes around to the outdoor, pries it open, and starts up the stairs. And as he gets to the top of the stairs, he sees you know, about two dozen patrons with their hands up. So he realizes there's a, there's a holdup going on, creeps back down the stairs and out the door, and runs across Christina Street to a taxi stand and has them call police. While the police would be Sonia's saving grace in this robbery, it was hard to predict how things would turn out. As the story goes, not one Sonia officer had fired a gun in the line of duty before this day. So back in those days, the Sonia police force was 14-man force. And this call comes in about the liquor store robbery, just a chip change at 6 o'clock. And Jack Lewis had literally just walked into the station to start his shift. And so he and three other officers get into the city's sole police car and barrel down the 
short couple of blocks to the liquor store. They try the indoor, which is locked, and they too are familiar with the premises, so they pry open the outdoor and start up the stairs. And inside the liquor store, as three of them are charging up the stairs, the fourth officer is left outside to, to sort of man the doors. Red Ryan hears this commotion and heads for the outdoor stairway and fires off four shots point blank. And the first officer coming up the stairs was Jack Lewis. So he fell mortally wounded right away. And that that started an immense gun battle that wound up with Checkley killed and Ryan mortally wounded. And it went on for five or ten minutes, and uh, and then it was all over. They carried uh, Jack Lewis out to the police car and drove him quickly to Sarnia General Hospital. But within the hour, he was dead. And he was the first police fatality in Sarnia's history. I mean, I guess it's a mor- the morale of the story is crime really doesn't pay. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a botched robbery, just like the Stonehouse murder was a botched affair. You know, they. I think Ryan thought he'd planned the thing out pretty carefully, but he was getting sloppy. You know, as I say, he didn't even leave Toronto until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. He told his girlfriend, Jenny Law, that this whole robbery was going to be a piece of cake, was the expression he used. And then, of course, he never he came home in a coffin. And so Norman Red Ryan, one of Ontario's most notorious criminals, finally met his end. However, his reputation did not die with him. I remember hearing from my dad when I was a kid. This happened when he was 14 years old. I remember him telling me that the next day after this incident, he joined a lineup with six uh, 6,000 other people, he and a bunch of his buddies, to walk through Philip's funeral home where the bodies of Red Ryan and Harry Checkley were on display. 6,000 people went through that funeral home. People were coming from Port Huron, from London, to see this. And when the, mm-hmm. when the district attorney finally found out about it later in the afternoon, he put a stop to it. The city of Toronto was shocked at the notion that this reformed criminal, who they had thought so highly of, would commit another murder. People were horrified. And in fact, um, you know, he, he was an Irish Catholic. The Archbishop of Toronto, James McGuigan, refused to give him the last rites of the Catholic Church. When you take a look at Red Ryan's actual career, he wasn't a super criminal or a genius heist master. He was a petty criminal and a dangerous crook, not somebody to praise. And yet his name lives on. My father, I can remember when I was a young guy, him telling me the story of Red Ryan. And uh, I can remember my aunt, who lived down in that part of the city, saying, you know, this is, this is where uh, Red Ryan came up through the alley to rob that liquor store. Everybody in town knew who Red Ryan was, but I doubt if my father could have ever named the officer who was killed in that action. That officer, Jack Lewis, sacrificed his life to protect the people of Sarnia. And that's why when we look back at this case, it is important to remember not just the criminal Red Ryan, but also Constable Jack Lewis. He had joined the, the police force on uh, April 1st, 1929. He was a very highly decorated young officer, and he was very well-liked and well-respected by his colleagues. Uh, he'd, been, uh, he'd, he'd received a number of awards. He'd actually had a story written up about him in one of the Los Angeles papers uh, when he went into a, ran into a burning building to uh, try to save the property of the owner. And he'd received a number of commendations for 
arresting bandits here in town and was very well liked. But he, he was, he was, it was a shock because, as I say, this was the first police fatality in Sarnia's history. Over 2,500 people gathered at Jack Lewis's funeral to mourn the loss of the courageous officer. But over the years, as the story is told over and over again, Jack Lewis's role in the story is drowned out by the notoriety of Red Ryan. Fewer and fewer people seem to remember the fallen officer except for his family and the Sarnia police. And so Phil Egan and the Sarnia Historic Society set out to make Jack Lewis's legacy known again. I think everybody knew the story of Red Ryan. It's been told a number of times. There have actually been a number of... Uh, there was actually a film reenactment not too long ago. But not enough people knew about Jack Lewis. And, you know, there was a memorial inside the police station, but it was not a public m- memorial, and so people didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, his brother officers were certainly aware of it. And, I mean, every year there's a color party that goes to his grave and lays mm-hmm. a wreath. The public doesn't know this. The public's not aware of it. So really, up until the time that we, you know, wanted to uh, make sure people were aware of Lewis's sacrifice, the only ones who were aware of it who were observing it every year, the Sarnia Police Force. And we thought this is something that should be far more knowledgeable to the people of Sarnia and that they should be far more aware of. So that was one of our main objectives in uh, getting involved with the Historical Society. So why have decades gone by without the public recognizing Jack Lewis's sacrifice? I think part of it had to do with the fact that just three years later, the, the country was at war. And, you know, then the city was through a period of rapid growth in the 50s and 60s. And it, it was it was just never done. And, and it was... One of the things when we reinvigorated the Sarnia Historical Society, which had been dormant for a number of years, but when we revitalized it in 2015, it was one of the glaring things that we decided we really needed to rectify. Because the fact that this sacrifice uh, had never been officially recognized was, we thought, a real travesty, and it really had to be corrected. So it took us a number of years to raise the money to be able to um, put up the plaque, to get the permission from the building owner and, and all this sort of thing. And when we when we actually planned this and put it together, we were hoping that we could still get uh, 15 or 20 members of the Lewis family to come out to the plaque unveiling. We knew that his son, Jack, had just died a year or two before, which was a real tragedy. Um, but in the end, we were stunned, really, when 130 members of the Lewis family showed up for this plaque unveiling. The road to acquiring the memorial plaque was not a quick and easy one, but the community came together to make it happen. There was a reward for the, you know, whoever found the murderer of Edwin Stonehouse, man in Markham, who was, you know, killed while they were trying to steal his, uh, one of his automobiles. And it was a $1,000 reward posted by the Attorney General of Ontario. And after um, Lewis was killed, the Sarnia Police Force applied for that reward, and their intent was to turn that money over to Vera Lewis, Jack Lewis's widow, who had two small children. So they had decided they were going to apply for this reward and turn the money over to her. But the province turned them down, saying, well, you know, this was this is your job, your police force, you know, we're not going to pay a reward to, to you. So... We decided that we would retroactively 
and this was during a, the last provincial election campaign, that we as the historical society would apply to the province for this reward money. And we told them that we were going to use this money to raise a memorial plaque to Jack Lewis. Now, I, I, we fully expected they would, they would turn around and say no, which they did. But, you know, it was the way they did it that actually made news, because they said to us the point of a reward is to, you know, get a, a trial and conviction. You know, this guy was never sentenced. He was shot down, you know, he was shot down during the, uh, during the commission of the crime. We actually wrote back to them and said, are you suggesting you're not going to pay us this reward because this guy who was freed from prison after getting a sentence of 139 years and a life sentence didn't get his day in court? And so, the, you know, the thing was outrageous enough that the press carried the story. And within 24 hours of that final story appearing, we had four anonymous donors call us and say, this is ridiculous, you know, we want to we want to donate money for that memorial plaque. And literally within a day, we had raised the $5,000 necessary to put this, put this plaque up. While outlaws and mass criminals always seem to remain immortal, there are still unsung heroes in these stories that need to be included as well. In the case of Red Ryan, it's Jack Lewis and the Sarnia Police Service who bravely answered the call of an armed robbery while having never seen anything of the sort. You know, it's difficult with things like this because people always want the, you know, the Robin Hood story and the, you know, these, these famous gangsters have a following of people who are interested in their exploits. And I don't suppose that's ever going to go away, but it needs to be a measured story and uh, certainly uh, Jack Lewis needs to be a bigger part of it. This episode of the 519 Podcast was written by Patrick Magermans and Haley Cheng and produced by Craig Needles. It was hosted by Haley Cheng. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.